Good morning. Now this pivotal scene that we've just been able to experience together finds its roots in the 21st chapter of the book of John, and I'd love for you to turn there now, because what we're doing this morning on this Liberty Weekend is concluding our series involving critical questions, critical questions in particular, not that we pose to Jesus, but rather critical questions that Jesus posed to others, those that were opposed to him, as well as those who were followers of him. And now you and I are going to observe very carefully critical questions, crucial questions, essential questions that Jesus Christ is going to pose it's going to force Peter in this particular case to grapple with just how loyal Peter truly is to Jesus. And so now in this 21st chapter, in this 15th verse, I'll read down through verse 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And... After saying this, he said to him, follow me. We're going to be looking at these verses and more in the next few minutes, but first, let's look to our Lord in prayer. Our fathers, we're coming before you now. We come before you as people who can identify with Peter. And we can look back over times in the past where in less than ideal situations, we had a less than ideal relationship with you. And a critical question or more needed to be posed to our hearts, to our souls, in order to fully embrace you, to be able to drink deeply from your grace and to apply your truth to our lives. There's a bit of a Peter in each of what we want to do, Father, is to have a little less of Peter in us and more of Jesus in us. And so, Father, speak to this, this need within our souls. 
We're asking you that you would warm these hearts, engage these minds, shape these wills. For on this Labor Day weekend, where we remember the labor that Jesus did when he died for our sins, and his work is complete, we seek to look to him and him only. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Perhaps you've taken your family on one of those journeys west, and you've had the opportunity to be able to look at the incredibly beautiful giant sequoias and redwood trees. Now in one of the parks you would visit, a naturalist would point out to you a cross-section of a great tree that they've cut and point to the rings of the tree that reveal the developmental history of that tree year by year. They would have used a boring bar to establish that cross-section. And they would point out that one light-colored ring plus one dark-colored ring would equal one year. And that would be known as a growth year. And perhaps what they would do for you and your family members at this point is to allow for you to look at that cross-section and say, here's a ring that represents a year where there was a terrible drought. Here's where a tree was struck by lightning. Here are some of the normal years of life. This ring shows a forest fire where almost all the trees were destroyed. And here's another of savage blight that seemed to so infect this tree. And all of this is embedded in the heart of the tree. And it represents the autobiography of its growth. And that's the way it is with us. Just a few minutes beneath the protective bark, the concealing protective mask, you see, are recorded the rings of our lives. The scars of some ancient hurts. The pain of particular intentional and unintentional acts of sin. The loss that we experienced in a particular point of time. Painful, repressed memories, all hidden behind that protective bark, the rings of our lives. Yet this is the developmental history that we bring with us into our, into our worship services. Now what the Apostle John is about to do at this point is to draw out his boring bar. 
And he's about to provide for you and for me a cross-section of, of the Apostle Peter's experiences. But one major experience in particular will stand out as we look at this developmental approach to the rings of life that unfold. So what I want to do with you now is to join with you as we pull out our boring bars. And we're going to look very carefully at what God is teaching us here, what God is showing us here, what God is revealing to us here. And what we're going to do is to look very carefully now at two significant callings that God has placed on our lives to better handle the developmental history that we have where some of us might be entering into worship with what we might call a life of regret, just like Peter in this story. The first calling flows out of verse 15 down through verse 19, where number one, you and I are called, we are called to love Christ, no matter what is required of us. Now, You'll notice with me that these disciples have worked long into the night. All of chapter 21 deals with their own labor. They had their own labor day we can experience. They had been fishing through the nights, casting their nets, and now, now it's, it's breakfast. And they're, they're weary, they're tired, they're aching. And life gets rather reflective in moments like that. And interestingly enough, what Jesus has done, according to the ninth verse of the 21st chapter, is that he's going to grill out with them. He provides a charcoal fire to lay the fish out on them with some bread. And as he begins to lay this out for them, there's... There's Simon Peter. And as he pulls his wearied body out of that boat, and he appears before Jesus, it won't be the first time that he will be in Christ's presence after the resurrection. Why, the Apostle Paul informs us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. Which means then that Jesus had had a private session with Peter before he now has this public session with Peter. But now Peter comes out of that boat, having already experienced a private moment with Jesus. Did they deal with matters of sin and repentance? Peter had denied Jesus three times. And now whatever took place in that private conversation, it was not privy to the ears of these disciples. 
the disciples get out of the boat with Peter and they gather around this charcoal fire that Jesus Christ has now built for them. They're about to grill out, you see. Lurking in the memory of Simon Peter are three significant denials that took place. The first is found in the 18th chapter, in verse 17 and 18, as it appears on the screen. There was a servant girl at the door who had said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? Critical question. Notice the definitive response. I am not. But notice the setting. Now the servants and the officers had made a what? A charcoal fire. Because it was cold. They were standing and warming themselves. Was Peter with Jesus? No. Peter also was with them, standing, warming himself. A first denial. But then you'll look further in that chapter, the 18th chapter, and you're going to spot verse 25 that appears on screen, where we are informed now that Simon Peter was standing and he was warming himself. And collectively now, they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples. Question. Are you? Here's his moment to do a 180. But instead, you and I are informed, he denied it and said, I am not. Definitive. Succinct. But not once. Not twice. But now a third time unfolds before your eyes and my eyes. Because in that 18th chapter, you come now to the 26th and your 27th verses where one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? A third question. Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed, just as Jesus had promised. Now, post-resurrection, they come out of this boat and they are wearied. Jesus does not announce in advance the surgical procedure that is going to take place upon, upon Simon Peter's soul. He's not like that. But he allows for the normal routine of coming ashore to take place. They finished their breakfast. 
I can imagine Jesus is the master of the grill. When all of a sudden, Jesus, he said to Simon Peter, Simon, notice that he does not say Peter. He says, Simon. Why Simon? Because that's how he initially knew him at the point in time when he found Simon fishing and challenged him and said, I'll make you fisher, a fisher of men. What's Jesus doing? Not merely is he taking him back to the denials around that charcoal fire. He is taking him back in time to first beginnings. Where now this man who once was known as Simon was found at the shoreline, identified and called out by Jesus. Son of John, we're told. Why, that's how he was described in those earlier accounts. And typically, that is how a man is identified in the Middle East to this very day. Not by what you do, but rather, who's your father? Because your family heritage is significant in the Middle East to this very moment. And so now, what he's doing is he's beginning to go back to first things. And the surgical procedure begins quietly, yet effectively. Simon, he doesn't say Peter. Son of John, do you love me more than these? Notice now, he uses the word love agape in the original language. And furthermore, he poses this question more than these. Peter allows his eyes to look over the fishing gear. It's as if he's gone back to the way it used to be. He's living with regret. Forgiven, yes, but regretful, yes, as well. Ever prone to go back to beginnings? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these as he looks at his fishing nets? More than these as he looks at the disciples who he has journeyed through these years with, arm in arm. More than these, meaning, is your love supersede their love? In other words, what Jesus wants to know at this point is to what degree is your love for me such that it is preeminent above all, all people, all things. And he said to him, yes, Lord. He calls him Lord. You know that I love you. But it's as if Simon Peter can't rise to the level of love that Jesus has called him out to, to express because the Greek word he uses is not agape love, but rather phileo love. We get the city of brotherly love from phileo, Philadelphia. 
It's as if he has created and developed a sense of self-awareness. He falls short of what Jesus has called him to be and what Jesus has called him to do. Do you have that self-awareness when you come in to worship your Lord? You see, there's this developmental ring now that Jesus Christ is beginning to expose. He's using a boring bar, and he's taking, to, he's taking Simon Peter to a particular ring of life in Simon's developmental history so that Simon will be freed of that past in order to be reinvigorated, in order to live for Jesus in the future. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But he doesn't say, love you more than these, does he? Jesus responds with, feed my lambs. In essence, what he is saying here at this point is, I haven't shelved you, Peter. I haven't put you back in the room where there's ancient inventory, where you are forgotten. Peter, I see that ring, and you're still usable in my eyes. But Peter... Peter, it's my lambs, not yours. Someone once introduced Hudson Taylor as a great missionary who had given his life to the Orient because he loved the Chinese. And Taylor slowly shook his head and answered thoughtfully, No, not because I loved the Chinese but because I loved Jesus more. In verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, notice he does not use the name Peter. He's taking him back, back to that initial calling. Peter might still be dripping wet from his work out in the Sea of Galilee through the nighttime hours. He's wearied of body. Perhaps much like when Jesus first encountered Simon at a prior time in Simon's developmental history with Jesus. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And again, Jesus uses the agape word. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But notice that this time around, Jesus did not ask, do you love me more than these? Simply dropped off the map. He's getting concise. He's becoming personal. Do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And for the second time, the accent is upon no. Even more so than love. And the Greek word again that John uses to describe how Peter responds is phileo. 
a brotherly love, but not agape, a sacrificial love. Jesus picks up on it. But then again, it's as if he recommissions Simon Peter in front of the other disciples. They've already had their private time of processing. But the disciples have not had the opportunity to view him still as reinstituted as first among equals. Reinstituted into the role of leadership and ministry again. This is humbling. Tend my sheep. They're not your sheep. It's not your church. It's mine. You could almost feel it now because not once, not twice, but three times Jesus would pose these questions, but not once. Not twice, but three times would Simon face questions regarding a relationship to Jesus in that courtyard while a charcoal fire was burning. Sometimes God uses repetition to get a hold of our attention. To reinstitute loyalty to him not only in our heart, but in the hearts of others who will look at you and look at me and ask, where does all this lead? And so the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But interestingly enough now, Jesus does not use the Greek word agape, but now he uses the same word that John uses to describe Peter's response, phileo, do you phileo me? In other words, he's lowered the bar for Simon. Notice that you and I are told Peter was grieved. All of a sudden now, the threefold questions that have been posed to him about his relationship to Jesus at that charcoal fire have been reversed. And now in front of his disciples, Jesus is posing three significant critical questions to Simon Peter's soul. To reestablish in the eyes of the disciples, Simon Peter is usable. My relationship to Simon Peter is purposeful. I haven't discarded this man. He's got a lot to offer. He's grieved. Have you ever been grieved? When you look at the developmental rings in your life, notice how he responds. Lord, you know everything. And again, the emphasis is not upon the love, but upon the know. You know, you know, you know. You know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then, feed my sheep. And he keeps varying the descriptives of how to view the believer to whom Simon Peter ministers. George Truitt, who for many years was senior pastor of First Baptist Dallas, tells the story of a gathering in an art gallery where there's this elderly man who is staring, gazing, fixated on 
a painting of the cross of Christ. Christ on the cross. And unknowingly, his lips begin to part, and he quietly utters these words, I love him. There's a stranger standing nearby who hears the man's words, steps over and says, Brother, I love him too. And then a third and a fourth. And they find themselves gathered together around their common love for Christ. But what's interesting is that when we gather together on a Sunday morning, we share this common love, but at the same time, there's this boring bar that has produced a cross-section of life. And now the questions that Jesus poses to Simon Peter bear down upon your soul, my soul, likewise. And we've got to be able to respond to the tough questions that Jesus poses in order to be able, not only for our sake, but for others, to make ourselves functionally usable, purposeful, equipped for what comes next. Because Simon Peter is going to face a far greater threat than a servant girl in that courtyard. He's going to face challenges as he hits the street running in Jerusalem, proclaiming the risen Savior. And a cross-section is necessary for you and me to be able to examine carefully. Because that's part of our developmental history of understanding where grace is to be found. Not only in the good times, but in the bad times as well. But Jesus isn't done yet, is he? And so he moves on. And part of this loving Christ involves being willing to obey and to follow what God has required of us. And so in verse 18, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, notice the contrast unfolding here. When you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted, as, as if you had supposed sovereignty over your life, Simon Peter. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And so often people assume that's because they're talking about his old age experiences. But there's more than because notice the parenthesis in the following verse. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Because as Tertullian and as Eusebius and others, historians, would describe it in early church history, Simon Peter evidently was also crucified at a subsequent point. But he would request that he crucified upside down because he was unworthy of being crucified in the same manner as his risen Savior. And now here is the Apostle John, 20 to 30 years subsequent to Peter's passing, and he's still now providing us this cross-section for us to be able to autobiography assess our own, our own spiritual developments and see where grace is found in the various 
developmental rings of our own relationship to Jesus. And Jesus says, follow me. There's this old saying from the people of the Congo of a prior era where they would pray, Dear Lord, you be the needle and I be the thread. You go first and I will follow you wherever you may lead. Is that you this morning? For after Simon Peter is reinstituted, Jesus does not leave him there. He says, follow me. And there's scars. There's painful hurts. He's been living with regret. But now what? Jesus Christ has done is not only address him privately as Paul had pointed out in 1 Corinthians 15. He now ministers to him publicly the balanced grace that Jesus provides. And now Simon Peter's ready to step out and move forward again, are you? But Peter's going to be Peter. And you are going to be you, and I'm going to be me. And we've got to be self-aware of the natural rings of life. And so now, here's a second calling that unfolds before you and for me. The number two, we're called to follow Christ. Follow Christ. No matter what is experienced by others. And so now, after that long night of fishing, where Jesus has addressed him as Simon rather than Peter, and where Jesus, furthermore, has ended with that phrase, follow me, and he remembers how that was really the opening statements that Jesus had delivered to his disciples, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. All the storylines of life now are working in conjunction with one another as grace is being poured upon grace into the soul of Simon. But you see, part of following Christ is to develop what we might call here a severe focus, an intense focus, where we're not consumed with others and how they are blessed, not consumed with others and how they are used or not used, but consumed with Christ and what he has done and is calling on your life and mine. So Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Ironic. Jesus had talked about follow me. Here is Simon Peter caught up in the disciple whom Jesus loved, following them. Have you ever noticed that contrast before? He's become spiritually distracted so quickly. Do you? 
the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Now when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And there might be some of us who want to love Jesus and want to follow Jesus. But we quickly become distracted when it comes to following him with others who are following as well. And we ask ourselves, why is that person experiencing such blessings? Why is that person living the way he's living? Why is that person doing what he's doing? And we get caught up with Christians rather than caught up with Christ. With regard to central focus. Jesus is about to narrow the focus. Is he narrowing the focus in your life this morning? For in verse 22, Jesus said to him, If it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? And then for re-emphasis, you follow me. Now those of you who are parents, some grandparents, if you have ever taken your children, grandchildren through C.S. Lewis's, Chronicles of Narnia. You're going to come across one of his books called The Horse and His Boy. And in it, there's this boy named Shasta who's in conversation with the Christ figure in Lewis's books. His name's Aslan. And Aslan's been recounting the developmental history in Shasta's life. And he's reviewing for him how he was the lion who drove away the enemies while Shasta slept. And he was the lion who came out and comforted Shasta in the midst of those experiencing death. And he was the lion who propelled the boat that brought that brought Shasta ashore, irony of ironies. And now as Shasta's listening and reflecting upon the lion's sovereign claims, suddenly there's a critical question that Shasta poses to the Christ figure, Aslan. It's this. Then it was you who wounded Aravis, he asked. It was I, said the lion. But what for? Listen. Child, said the voice. I am telling your story. Not hers. I tell no one any story but his own. (coughs) 
don't become obsessed with someone else's story. God is writing a story for your life. And there are rings of development in your story that perhaps others don't share, but it's part of making you who you are to be the sort of person that God can use for glory in a way in which others are not. You have your own distinctive rings, you know. But they're marked by grace. Even if they're marked by pain. You follow me. And so the saying spread among the brothers that his disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will, re-emphasis, that he remain until I come, eliminate the comparisons. What is that to you? In other words, stay focused. You follow me. During the era of Napoleon, when he was conquering so much of the real estate of this world, we're told that there was a man taken captive who was a man from Scotland who played the bagpipes, a Highlander. And seeing he had his instrument with him, Napoleon asked him to play a tune. Scotsman obliged. Now play a march, said Napoleon. And again, the Highlander did as he was told, until finally the emperor said, play a retreat. Nice, said the Highlander. That I cannot do. I never learned to play one. The developmental rings in Simon's life are rings of retreat. But now he's been reinstituted and gone on record. And the disciples are there to affirm that and encourage him when he begins to doubt himself. He's looked at the rings of development. And he sees the rings of love. You and I have got a developmental history. Like that tree. A tree perhaps struck by lightning. Maybe too much drought. Maybe blight. Maybe too much rain. But then we take a good, hard look at Jesus. We realize that he loves to take people who have rings from the past where it's less than ideal and reinstitute them so that they can have high impact for his glory no matter what you've experienced in life and no matter what your rings are. Those are rings that Jesus loves. Let's stand together.
You died for those rings, Father. The sins, the mistakes, the losses, the disappointments, the dry seasons and the rainy seasons, the good times and the bad the times of sickness and the times of health. And it's all part of the developmental history of our lives. But you want us to flourish. And so if there's anyone here, Father, who comes today and they are self-conscious and they're living with regret, minister to that heart now in a profound way. Provide grace. Re-empower them and allow them, Father, to step forward and realize that they haven't been shelved. They're ready to be used for your glory and your honor. And for this, we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.